Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. As we come before the Lord in joy, we also come remembering our sins. We confess our sins and hear God call us to that confession. Psalm 119 this morning, the first eight verses. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. Psalm 119 is filled with resolutions, which we think about at the beginning of a new year. Uh, I counted this a quick count uh, 20 times. David says, I will, in this one chapter, Psalm 119. I printed a couple of the verses in the bulletin if you want to uh, refer to that with me a moment. Uh, One question is, what have you resolved uh, to do in 2023? God's word gives us some guidance here. What should we resolve to do? In verses 7 to 8, there are three specific resolutions that we would do well to emulate. First, David says, I will praise you. I will praise God. Now, resolutions need to be specific to work. Uh, So don't just resolve to pray more, for example. That's too vague, right? Resolve instead to take two minutes a day to praise God for two different attributes or names of his, something specific like that. Think upon and revel in the majesty of God this year. I will praise you, David says. Second, he says, I will learn God's righteous judgments. There are 176 verses in this chapter. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. And almost every verse mentions God's word somehow. It's astounding. Uh, And uh, it's a call to us to redouble our efforts to be consistently in God's word every day. I took along and printed off a few copies of a a Bible schedule. You may have one of those already. There's one on the back table. This is one of the better ones I found this week. So you may want to see that back by the bulletins. Lastly, uh, David says, I will keep your statutes. And we're called to be uh, doers, not just readers of God's word. Mortify the sin within, put it to death. A new year is a good time to take stock of how you are doing in this. But more than once a year is needed, which is why God gives us a day in seven for rest uh, from our work to tend to our souls. Uh, These things we all do by the blessing of God, by his spirit. We see the blessings at the beginning of Psalm 119. And so... on God's grace for this, not our moral resolution. And this reminds us of our need to confess our sins. Matthew 2 is our sermon text. Matthew 2, beginning at verse 7, the beginning part of this passage we read on Christmas Eve, even, uh, the wise men coming, but the story goes on from there. So let's read Matthew 2, verse 7 through 18. Again, hear God's infallible word. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. The grass withers, the flower fades, and this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Difficult passages to read without getting emotional as I have. That one in Revelation especially, just before I even start here, the, the whole idea there of the, the accuser of the brethren being cast down even before he goes off to wage war against the church. That, that's the declaration from heaven of what is to be. That's the proclamation of the gospel. And all that we experience in history is an outflow of that. Well, speaking of history, Happy New Year to you all. Uh, Christmas, as I said in the email, is a 12-day affair, which we don't often consider these days. Uh, so I'm taking part of the message to focus on the wise men and Herod, which all happened after the birth of Jesus, right? So today is also uh, eight days after Christmas, when the church traditionally has remembered the circumcision of Jesus, according to the law. I'll mention that briefly today as well. There's a lot we could talk about. Uh, just three hooks to hang your thoughts on today. Uh, God's light guides us. That's the first thing. That's the epiphany theme of the Magi. Uh, God's light guides us as we worship Christ and build up his people. That's the second thing. We'll talk about worship and building up. Uh, and then third, uh, God's light guides us amidst troubles and attacks. And that's where we consider Herod in our own troubles. So those three things, you'll see that in the outline as well. But let's think first about God's light guiding us. This is the epiphany moment. I'm going to deal with epiphany today. T technically, epiphany Sunday is next Sunday. I'm going to move on to something else then. So here's our epiphany moment. Uh, epiphany simply means shine upon. Uh, God's uh, light uh, shines upon us. And so we, uh, we are illumined. We uh, know uh, God's truth when he reveals it to us. 
This is what happens with the Magi, hundreds of miles away. They see the star, somehow, I'm not going to go into all the scientific details, somehow they know this is a star for a king of Judah, so they go to the capital of Judah. They go to Jerusalem, looking for the king. Uh, so God produces a star that they see far, far away, and then uh, leaving Herod to go to Bethlehem. Remember the wise men are told by the prophets he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So their plan is, okay, we'll go to Bethlehem. So they leave the gates of Jerusalem. They know the, the signpost shows them what road to take to Bethlehem. But I think they're wondering to themselves, when we get to Bethlehem, how are we going to find Jesus? How are we going to find the child? Uh, that's a question they had. So God moves the star, or he makes the star shine in such a way that it guides them from Jerusalem to the house where Jesus is. That's quite incredible, literally. That's hard for people to believe. I don't think it's just an astronomical event, because this is, remember, a five-mile journey. It's only five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And somehow that star points them to the house. That's more like a miracle like Gideon, like God making the sun stand still for Gideon than it is some astronomical event. It may have been that too, but there's probably two things going on here. So the point of all that is that there's supernatural guidance given here to the Magi. And that's something that we can take comfort in. God is going to guide you as well. There's an epiphany moment we sometimes have. There's also constant guidance. And and in the midst of people who are trying to trick us, right? The, Herod tricks the wise men. He says, oh, tell me where he is. I want to worship him too. He's, he doesn't want to worship him. He wants to find out where he is to kill him. Even in the midst of all those kind of landmines in our lives, God will guide us. He will guide us. If God can move sun and stars to help his people, he can help you. That's part of the point of epiphany. Uh, another point I would make on it is that you're going to learn new things this year. Uh, we forget sometimes that we aren't done learning. We, we tend to think, man, I've learned so much. I've come, I, I used to be this, and now I'm this. And we tend to have the assumption that we've arrived now. I've, I've, I've learned everything that I need to know. I, I used to be that, now I'm this, and this is right. So now I'm here. But there's the future coming, right? If God, if God changed us t for t the last 10 years, he's going to change us in the next 10 years as well. Uh, we forget sometimes we aren't done learning. Epiphany is something that reminds us God's going to show us new truth in the future, show us better how to live. So that's important. That's, that's epiphany. That's God's light shining upon us. Uh, now, what happens when the wise men come to Jesus? They worship him. And that's my next point. Uh, God's light guides us to worship Christ and to build up his people. They worship him. The wise men come to Jesus, uh, and, and the, the, the wording is very explicit. They worship him. They bow down. They worship the Christ. That's the core of our being. That's what we're doing That when we um, recite the Heidelberg Catechism and talk about our comfort being that we belong to Jesus. When we believe that in our hearts, when, when that's uh, who we are, uh, that's worship. And the wise men are doing that. The wise men give gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And part of our worship is giving gifts. Uh, that, uh, I thought of Psalm 96 uh, when that came up. Uh, it's very clear in, in Psalm 96. In all the Psalms, we go to the Psalms all the time for the call to worship, right? Shout to the Lord. Sing praise to God. 
we often forget about Psalm 96. Come into his courts, bring an offering. <laughs> it says that too. And that's part of our worship too. So uh, God doesn't need your money, but the church needs it to fulfill its calling in the world. And so worship leads to building. Uh, worship leads to building up God's people. That's what God does. God uses offerings to build his church. We see, the, see that in the Old Testament very clearly. When they come out of Egypt, God gives Moses a pattern for building the tabernacle. And what does he do next? He asks the people for an offering for the stuff to put the tabernacle together. And they give till there's, there's more than is needed, and they build the tabernacle. That's the idea. So worship leads to giving, leads to building. That's the general process. So building uh, is a theme I want to focus on a minute, mainly from uh, Ephesians 4. We read from Ephesians 4. Um, first of all, we need to build ourselves up, right? Jude 20 says, build yourself up in the holy faith. Uh, that made me think of um, Gary DeMar. He's written a, a good book on God and government. And one insight that he had, I don't know if it's original with him, but he goes through all the different types of government, right? Family government, church government, state government. But he starts with self-government. You've got to govern yourself if you're going to uh, govern anything else. Uh, so it makes me think of Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Right? If you're growing in God's word, if you're, then you're in a better place to love your spouse, to parent your children, to evangelize your neighbors. You're building yourself up as you're guided by the word. Be in the word. Be led by the spirit. Uh, so uh, God's light guides us to worship Christ, to give to him, uh, to build ourselves up in obedience to him. That's the idea. The New Testament version of this is in Ephesians 2. We read from there as well. There, there you see, uh, or Ephesians 4, I should say, uh, where God gives pastors, elders, deacons to the church to equip them uh, for their service, right? That, that whole chapter is all about building the church. How do, we, how do we build communities of faith? We're kind of focused on that these days. God's word gives us explicit directions how to do that. Church leaders should always be asking, how am I equipping church members to serve God better? Uh, one aspect of the church that we've uh, been thinking about for the last 40, 50 years is uh, consumerism. How the, the consumeristic culture of, that we live in has seeped into the church. And the church itself has become kind of a consumeristic kind of thing. Right? You go to church and you consume the product there. That's kind of the idea. And that, uh, I would uh, challenge us to consider that, that that's not just something that the megachurches do, but that's something that we can be thinking ourselves, too. We tend to think of Christ's church mainly as a Sunday morning service that the leadership puts on for the rest of us. But there's more to equipping the saints than that. There's more to building community than that. It's very important. Ephesians 4, verse 12, the edifying of the body. Edifying literally means building. Uh, in Ephesians 4, 12 and 15 goes on. The, the unity of the faith, uh, maturity, becoming the full measure of Christ. Uh, we're called to discern truth from tricks, verses 14 and 15. And these are all things that we do together as the body of Christ, verse 16. We're knit and joined together. Right? The head, the, the, the grammar gets a little uh, contorted here. It's a really long sentence. 
But the, but the basic point is that Jesus, the head, causes the growth of the body and knits the body together, builds us up to be like him. So there's a, a strong emphasis there on he's, he's building us into what we're supposed to be. And that's a glorious thing. First uh, Peter 2 talks in the same way about how we're living stones that are being built into a temple, a, a house of God for his service. And we're, so, we're, so Jesus is doing that, right? Jesus says to Peter, uh, you are Peter on this rock, I will build my church, right? Jesus is doing the building. And that we can take comfort in because it seems like when we ever try to build something, it just falls apart really fast. Uh, so we can take comfort in that, but we are called to do our part. So that's one thing I'd have us think about. Let's think together in 2023 as Christ Church about what, what that building should look like for Christ Church. How do we build, uh, I just thought of this phrase, I'd better not use it. Well, just for the fun of it. How do we build back better? How do we do that, right? It's just, it's just a phrase, so it's okay, right? So uh, there's, there's a building that we're called to do. So there's this building by obedience, uh, right? Personal virtue, uh, growing in grace, in the word. Uh, I also thought of, uh, there's, the, um, there's the, the three forms of the law, right? The ritual law, the moral law, the civil law. Uh, there, there's an obedience to the ritual law. This, this is the circumcision of Jesus point, right? Mary and Joseph take uh, Jesus to the temple on the eighth day according to the law. That's in Luke 2. Uh, that, that's, there's an obedience to the ritual law there. Now, we're in the New Testament, so we tend to think all the ritual law is just gone. There's nothing more to even think about there. I don't think that's true. There's a pattern in the ritual law that we still ought to look to. Um, the New Testament ritual law, if I could put it that way, looks a lot different. But I do think there are things for us to uh, pursue, to observe. Observing the Lord's day. Uh, worshiping with God's people, being baptized, joining a church. Those are things God calls us to do that are more an outward conformity to the, how the church is structured. So there, there are New Testament patterns that continue on. Uh, obedience to the law, obedience to the moral law. Uh, how are we going to build community? Well, we're going to do that by loving one another, uh, by forgiving one another, by keeping short accounts with each other. I don't know if you know that phrase. It's a very important one. If there's some, uh, uh, some offense, then you need to work quickly to resolve that. Uh, or, because if that doesn't happen, then, there's, um, then the building starts to fall apart and, and there's cracks and walls start to fall down. So obedience to the moral law isn't just avoiding certain sins personally. It's, am I interacting with everyone else here in a way that's being constructive and edifying? Uh, we, in our more pietistic background, we think of um, sanctification and personal obedience as completely individual affairs. Am, am I obeying God? Well, th that needs to take into account how you're treating your brother and sister in Christ. So that's something to consider as well. So that's all uh, the second point on uh, our worship in our building. God's guiding us uh, to worship Christ, to build up his people. And then the last point today, uh, he does this amidst troubles and attacks. And, and here is the, the Herod point today. Uh, Herod is, was quite a character. The history of Herod is astounding. And when you compare it to Revelation 12... 
I think it helps us read Revelation a whole lot better because that chapter 12 is evidently, quite obviously, a, a picturesque description of Herod trying to kill Jesus. But there's also a lot more going on than just that one historical event. So attacks come to God's people. Uh, they come from uh, all kinds of different places. The attacks, uh, like I was just mentioning, come from among God's people. When there's uh, bitterness, a lack of charity, disagreement that leads to breaking fellowship when it doesn't need to, uh, those kinds of things are God's people not acting as they should. Internal attacks, those things happen. External attacks, like Herod. Right? Herod is cunning. He tries to kill Jesus. Verse 8, uh, 30 years later, Caiaphas finishes the job for him, actually. And, and there you have an instance where religious and political leaders both wanted Jesus gone. It's the Psalm 2 point. They, they conspire together against the Lord, against his Messiah. We need to realize, too, that he, uh, our enemy, uh, Satan, does not fight fair. Uh, Revelation 12, I think, makes that point. After identifying him as, as, the, as uh, Satan, the devil, the accuser, it says he's hunched over the woman about to devour the child. How fair is that? Now, that's, that's not a fair fight, right? If you're, if you're going to attack a newborn baby. That's what Satan does. He's going to sneak up behind us and attack and ambush us when we're not ready. So that's why scripture is often telling us, be vigilant, be, be on the watch. The, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may, he may devour. Uh, the church is going to continue to face attacks, uh, attacks from without. We have seen this in our culture recently. Uh, it, it may get worse. It may stay the same. Maybe it'll get better, but we ought to expect it. Uh, according to Revelation 12, and I think it's the whole point of that picturesque story, right? The dragon who's, who's seeking to devour. Uh, the whole point of that story is that Satan is after you. And you need to expect that. And we live in a culture radically transformed in the last 20 years. Now hostile to Christ and to God's ways. And when we face those attacks as a culture, as a church I mean, uh, honestly, we tend to be wimps who wither under any opposition at all. We go into self-pity mode or into despair. We, we just kind of cave and fall apart. How could they do this to us? Things used to be so different. Well, okay, that's true, but we need a, a better response uh, to, uh, to a, a more faithful response to an attack. What, what, can we, what, what do we do proactively? It made me think of uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. He, he has this great line. At the end of all his letters, he often talks about his plans. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, he says this, A great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. It's a fascinating connection, because we would never think that way, right? If there are many adversaries, we think, then there's not a door open. But notice Paul does the opposite. He says, I see a huge opportunity here in Corinth. I need to stay here a while. And there's a lot of adversaries. <laughs> there you have the mentality. That when, you, when you're faced with opposition like Herod's or, or uh, hostile cultures, the answer isn't just to hunker down or to go somewhere else. It's to realize there may be opportunities here. 
There are pockets of faithfulness dotting the land. And by God's grace, we are aiming to be one of those. Lifting high the cross. Proclaiming his saving death and resurrection for our sins. Calling for reformation in all things to follow God's word. So let's resolve together to do this ourselves. And let's pursue this in those around us as well. God's light guides us as we worship Christ and build up his people amidst troubles and attacks throughout all of 2023 for the rest of our lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given to us your word, your spirit, that you have given to us understanding of these things. We pray more and more, Lord, that you would show us how to shape our lives to follow your truth and your ways. Thank you that you've shown us that there is hostility in the world to you and to your truth and to your people so that we can be ready for that. Help us, Lord, uh, to continue to proclaim Christ and lift high his grace, his cross, uh, no matter what comes. Thank you that you have shown us uh, how to live. Help us to do so faithfully. We pray that you would, um, by your spirit, uh, move us uh, to, uh, to proper resolutions, uh, to know best what to decide to do, and also, Lord, to give us the will to do it. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, and we sing as he taught us to pray. begins in Philippians chapter 4. Hear God's word. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The three points of the message uh, all apply here at the table today as they usually do. First, God guides us to the truth by his spirit. And this table is meant to act out gospel truth. It's meant to point you towards Christ and the gospel message. Second, we are called to worship Christ and to be built up by him and to build for him. And that all happens here as well. Worship is not just what we do for God, right? We often talk that way, like we have the worship part of the service and then we have the message where we listen. That's not how it goes. When you're listening, when you're receiving, you're also worshiping. Uh, so uh, when we receive from God what he gives, this bread, this wine, that reading of his word, listening to sermons, we're worshiping Christ by coming to his table. And he builds us up with this food. We go in the strength of it to fight evil, to build Christian families and culture. And third, we come here amidst troubles and attacks. Jesus sets a table for us in the presence of our enemies, Psalm 23 says. We are not here to just escape our troubles for a little while. We are here to bring them to God, to ask him for help, to get wisdom and strength to endure or to conquer those troubles. So come, for all things are now ready. These are gifts of God for the people of God. So we invite you to the Lord's table today, all those who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church, 
As we're eating the bread and drinking the wine, we're acknowledging that we are sinners without hope except in the sovereign mercy of God. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.